Big Shot Breakdown. What's up, everybody? Coulter Nuanas, SkylineSportsMT.com. Appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for following along. Thanks to all of our great sponsors for their presentation of this Big Sky Breakdown. Blackfoot Communications, Opportunity Bank, Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth, J&V Restaurant Supply, and Town Pump Food Stores. Couldn't do it without all of those phenomenal sponsors for being with us uh, throughout football season. Also couldn't do it without my Fit During Football sponsors as well. The Hype House uh, they're on Tool Avenue here in Missoula. Great place to go spin and uh, beat-based cycling as well as strength classes. And also couldn't do it without Hot House Yoga. Great place to go relax. I've been hitting the yoga sculpt twice a week and really been clearing my mind, making me way more productive at work and helping me relax, de-stress. And uh, also thanks to Elevate Nutrition for keeping me all fueled up as well. All right, now we got the bills paid. Let's uh, have some fun. Brooks Duanez, Skyline Sports, will join us for our analysis-based podcast this week. We'll also hear from Ty Gregorak, our uh, lead analyst here at Skyline Sports, longtime college football coach, and now will make his debut as a color commentator uh, on Montana State's Big Sky Conference opener against Eastern Washington on Saturday afternoon in Cheney. And then we'll also hear from Andrew Houghton, contributing writer here at Skyline Sports. Uh, we'll do this once a week. We'll usually drop it Wednesdays or Thursdays, just breaking it all down, the actual analysis behind the games. Please enjoy. Brooks Nuanas was feeling it. He was on fire this week. Uh, a great segment with him. The Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by JNV Restaurant Supply. JNV Restaurant Supply, your home for everything kitchen. If you're having a big party, a tailgate, go check out jvrestaurant.com. Brooks Nuanas, Big Sky Breakdown. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coulter Nuanas, Brooks Nuanas coming to you on a beautiful and almost fall-like Tuesday afternoon, just a couple days away from the official first day of fall. I've got to thank all of our sponsors for helping us bring the Big Sky Breakdown, including those that are helping me stay fit during football. I did a double this morning at the Hype House. That was a new experience, a little spin, a little strength, and uh, going to do some hot house yoga on thursday and uh definitely making me feel more energetic more uh clear-minded uh, brooks used to be really into yoga we're gonna get him back into it's it's tough when you got multiple full-time jobs and uh, a bunch of kids but we'll, we'll get him back in there in the hot house are you shocked that i can actually function in the hot yoga so shocked dude <laughs> i think that um in the continuing age of the softening of america that they've turned the heat down because bro i'm a sauna fanatic and a yoga fanatic and uh death 20 minutes dead yeah i don't know man i uh i just adjusted sometimes you just gotta really like the pain it's all mental you know it's all mental when you sweat all the time it doesn't bother you that much it cools cools you down thanks to the hot house thanks to elevate nutrition I'm feeling as good as I've, I've felt in a long time right now because I did my double and then I ate some overnight oats. That was the first uh, first time with some chia seeds in there. Really becoming a fitness model. Washed it down with a little uh, power tea from Elevate Nutrition. The ginseng, the ginkgo biloba. Man, just make you feel like the smartest man in the world. Anyways, here we are. Uh, and Big Sky Conference play is on the horizon. It's been a funky non-conference, particularly when it comes to the Montana schools, but it's sort of been a funky non-conference across college football. We talked about this last week, but you schedule your wins, you schedule your losses. 
most of the teams in the Big Sky got to play one, if not two, money games. Uh, the Montana schools, they play their money games at home, and then if they get a chance to play another money game, that means they had a good financial uh, non-conference, which that's the case for Montana State, having two sellouts against overmatched opponents and then going on the road, playing Oregon State for a $675,000 check. And Montana, they got their two home games, uh, one against an overmatched opponent in Northwestern State, one against a solid Missouri Valley squad in South Dakota, and then they went on the road uh, to play Indiana State. That will be reciprocated with a home-and-home home later on down the road. But, uh, Brooks, I guess as we get into Big Sky Conference play, we can surely get into the details and the minutia of how all of this happened, what happened in these uh, the Cats 2-1 and one start, the Grizz 3-0 and oh start, but just from looking at the direct record heading into Portland State coming to Missoula and Montana State going to Cheney, this is the exact records that we thought uh, that these two schools were going to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's a good thing. You know, I think the non-conference was good for both teams. Um, you do get to brush up some stuff. You do get to get some, you know, the bullets are live per se. And I think that's really important, especially early in the season for teams that have experience uh, t- to roll up some good wins and, and play with a little bit of confidence, especially going into big sky play. We did some, uh, we'll have a power rankings video for you. We're doing a lot more videos now, but we got a, a big sky power rankings video in association with Andrew Houghton's around the big sky uh, weekly installment. So stay tuned for that. We'll also have our uh, weekly first looks where we uh, look at the opponents for both the cats and the Grizz. And I'm going to do video elements of the players to watch in each of those as well. So stay tuned for that coming up uh, later on this week. Uh, let's start with the Grizz because that was the morning game. That was the the game that we watched first on Saturday. As we've seen pretty consistently over the last, oh, I don't know, I'd say 12 years since Bobby Houck left the first time, when the Grizz go on the road and they play at a place where there isn't any fans, they don't look good early, especially if they're coming off one, if not two home games. They got to bring the, their own energy. That's been the, the staple. That's been the the rallying cry. It's been the priority forever. Uh, but it's obviously easier said than done. Montana didn't look great in the first quarter against Indiana State. They gave up their first big play of the season. Justin Dinka went 54 yards for a touchdown. Uh, they had a, a Patrick O'Connell sack into a fumble that Kale Edwards housed. So it's sitting there at 7-7. Then after that, the Grizz settled in. Uh, I thought they looked as good as they've looked offensively in a really long time. Uh, and then the defense locked in as well and, and re- overwhelmed Indiana State. It was hilarious because Dinka went over 100 yards, first back to go over 100 yards against the Grizz since Dennis Merritt did it for Eastern Washington uh, last October. But then he didn't finish the 100 yards because they get, they had so many tackles for a loss that he went from, like I think, 104 down to 94 yards. So they, they keep that streak intact. Uh, before we get into the details, your general takeaways from the, the Grizz 49-14 win over Indiana State. I thought it was I thought it was impressive once they got going, but I was a little concerned. I thought that the beginning, the energy was terrible. Um, I thought number one, you know, the kickoff crew, which has just been so electric for years and years. I mean, for decades at Montana, it's such an important unit, and I thought that they were running down, you know, half ass to be honest. Like I just did not think that it was the same level that we've seen for the last, you know, three weeks or especially during, even during fall camp, it was such, such a high level of energy. So that was concerning. I thought that was the same on defense. Uh, the 54-yard scamper from um, Indiana State that you mentioned, Coulter, I thought there were some bad angles on that play. I thought Robbie Houck and Nash Fouch both took 
really awkward kind of you know lazy angles um so when when it was seven seven it was like huh well i guess it's the missouri valley maybe indiana state's okay they really weren't okay i gotta say this on the record i can't believe that north dakota state can beat that team Year in, year out, huh? Yeah. I bl- somehow, some way, they get that done, right? And North Dakota State plays uh, South Dakota this week, who we saw last week. God forbid that they don't. They win that game too, you know. Believe it or not. So, uh, the Missouri Valley, you know, I think uh, gets a lot of credit for the top, the top two, three teams: South Dakota State, North Dakota State, as mentioned. Uh, I think the Big Sky is strong. Uh, I think that their top three or four teams. Also, I'd love to see that kind of crossover. I'd love to see a little like a round robin four versus four uh, kind of situation because I do think the Big Sky has carries a little bit more weight than maybe some people think nationally. A debate uh, between myself and the Grizz fan pod guys, Brent and Mike, and and uh, now Moonlighting, formerly of Skyline Sports, Kyle Sample, uh, contributing to the uh, the Grizz fan pod. They. It's a fan podcast, so let's be clear there. But they uh, refuse to believe me when I say that I think Portland State is as good as South Dakota. What say you? I do think that that's probably true. I think that if they played, I would put the over, uh, or I'd put the spread at like one and a half. You know, whoever's at home, two and a half maybe. I think they're really equal. I like that comp. South Dakota had had some good defensive backs, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, it looked like a run-of-the-mill kind of average FCS team. Their argument is South Dakota made the playoffs last year. South Dakota's good. I think South Dakota's good. I also think Portland State's good. I think Portland State is in one of the most difficult situations in the Big Sky Conference and in college football because I was on the Portland State campus. I was very impressed and surprised by their facilities because you think of Portland State and you think of sort of a run-of-the-mill program that has a very muddy future. Mostly of that's because they got kicked out of their once proud home, Providence Park, where they played their games for 60 years, and they have to play in Hillsboro at a high school stadium. The rest of their facilities are great. Their basketball arena is one of the best I've seen in the Big Sky Conference, I think. I mean, by, I think by quite a bit. I think that other than Dahlberg Arena, I mean, I'd take the Stott Center over the brick at Montana State for sure. Um, and their weight room is really nice, and their campus is super cool, and Portland is very cool when when you know it's up and rolling. So I think that their biggest issues are uh, alumni and student body engagement, having somebody to tell their story and remember the history. Like we can say, do you remember Ryan Fuqua? Do you remember Charles Dunn? Uh, you know, d- do you remember this guy and that guy? And people might kind of remember, but. They're not just like off the tip of your tongue because they don't have people telling their story. Like I, I, did, I researched this. Tim Walsh, who was there at Portland State from I think 1993 to 2006, led Portland State into their Division One era. They, they joined the Big Sky in 1996. So uh, Walsh was there for a full, I think, 10 years of, of Big Sky Conference play. Uh, from 1998 through 2006, Portland State finished second in the league six times in eight seasons. Second to Montana. The Big Sky was a one-bid league in five of those eight seasons, so Portland State made the playoffs once. A couple other times they were tied for second, and they didn't get the nod over teams like Eastern Washington and Montana State. But that's all to say that no one remembers that Portland State was one of the top three or four programs in the conference for about a 10-year span. They also only remember the one 2015 season because they beat two FBS programs in Bruce Barnum's first year. 
That's all to say, though, I think that they have such a unique challenge because they're a city school, a commuter school in downtown Portland. They get no love from the media, so it's very hard to spread their brand in a largely rural state, even though they are in the center of the, the second largest metropolitan area in the Pacific Northwest. But more than that, though, too, because of their financial challenges, they always have to play two money games, and then they always have to play a down game so they don't go 0 for 3 before conference play starts. It's just the little things, right? Like they play a school called Lincoln College that I've never heard of in a couple weeks. In the middle of conference play, they don't even get to get their – they're on a bye coming into this Grizz game. That's because they had an AD transition and they were supposed to play Southern Utah and nobody signed the contract. So they didn't get the game that they're supposed to get in Portland. That's the little things, though, that I'm talking about. But I think it's such an uphill battle when you got to play two money games headed into conference play. That's all to say that if Portland State was in a state like South Dakota or Illinois or Iowa where you get way more state money in funding and you don't have to play a, a, a Washington and an Oregon every single year, you get student athletic fees because you're in a, a way more rural place where the student body either cares or is forced to care or whatever it might be. All I'm saying is that if you put Portland State in a different location and you gave them a different schedule, I think they would be pretty good every year. And they've been actually pretty good the last two, I mean, the last two full seasons, 2019, 2021, they were 500 in league play. And again, no one remembers that because no one's there to tell their story. And there's teams like that all over the country, right? I mean, the 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 five the teams that are finishing 500 in the middle of the Pac-12, uh, the teams that are finishing you know just above 500 in the SEC East, yeah, people aren't don't care quite as much. That's the fun part about the FCS, which you always hear me talk about is is it's the tournament of 24 teams, and Portland State definitely has a chance to get in there. You know, it's a tough league. Weber, Montana State, Eastern. Uh, Montana, those are good squads. You know, you lose those four and you win the rest of them, you're still not don't have a great record after those two money games. And yeah, is Portland State going to ascend to you know all of a sudden be able to 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 grapple with teams with such legacy? Probably not. So to answer the question, South Dakota versus Portland State on a neutral field, I'm taking Barney. <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay, two last things on the Grizz before we get to the Cats here. Big Sky breakdown. SkySportsMT.com. Uh, thanks to all of our uh, great sponsors, including Nick Tabor, Westpac Wealth. Uh, Nick is the financial guru and uh, a financial advisor and advocate for each of the Nuanes brothers here. He's got us uh, all set up with uh, some life insurance so we can take care of our loved ones and also gives me a whole bunch of financial tips all along the way. Help me uh, reorganize all my finances. Sorry, I was able to buy a house. So we really appreciate Nick not only for his uh, business acumen, his finance acumen, but also his friendship and his continued support of all the stuff we do here uh, at Skyline Sports. Um, two questions for for uh, on the Grizz, Brooks. One, what is, if anything, your biggest concern about Montana uh, entering Big Sky Conference play? I still don't think that they've really shored up the the center of the defense, which we talk about being the weak point. Um, it's the teams they've lost to the last two years, more or less, have been teams that have been able to attack up the seam. 
Um, that, that's attacking. You know, they play five defensive backs, um, but they play. They roll down safeties into the box. Um, the post safety oftentimes is 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 relatively deep and doesn't really isn't really able to get sideline the sideline just due to the just kind of the scheme. Um, so that, that that center of the field, I I still think can be a touch vulnerable. They're moving Robbie Houck all over the field right now. I think he's, they're trying to get him more um, engaged in the run game, which is an important piece of what his style of play is. I think it's not necessarily a bad move, um, but they're they're bringing him into the box quite often. That middle of the field also has Nash, Nash Fouch, Garrett Graves, Trajan Cotton. They played Garrett Graves less last week, um, and we had talked about him being more of like a box run safety, even though he can play in coverage and he is really athletic. Um, so they've started to kind of identify that that maybe Fouch is that post safety, and you bring Robbie into the box more and let him kind of dictate with that with his physicality and his nose for the football. I still think that until that is that right there, what I just said, figuring out Trajan Cotton, Garrett Graves, and Nash's Foucher's role, that's three guys that you're trying to fill up two really important spots. There's nowhere else on their defense that has that. They're they're tight on the outside. Corbin Walker, Jalen Dotson, um, and Justin Ford are all good corners. And then the linebacker crew, like you're just rolling guys. Like those three starters, there's no question about what they're gonna do or where they're gonna be. I still think that there is a little bit of question in the middle there. To follow up on that, and then, and then I'll ask you my last Grizz question. Uh, the The Grizz defense is so f- interesting because it is so complex and complicated in its un- in, in the unique nature of what they do. But in the ultimate goal, as well as the way that they dictate, it's actually the simplest defense of any defense we've ever covered because they don't play chess whatsoever. It's not, if you do this, I'll do this. They just do what they do, and that's it. And they just say, we're going to beat the shit out of your quarterback, and if he can stand in there and make throws, do it. And if he can't, he's screwed. And last year, they played three guys that could and 10 guys that couldn't, and they won 10 games and they lost three games. And so I, I so I guess like the, the follow-up question is, though, is that something that will bite them down the road or are they just all in? I mean, is it the, is it the casino Royale forever? I mean, do they just have to just bring it over and over and over again and, and either just think that the matchup's going to play out or just do it better than they did it a year ago? I think it's an interesting question, Colt. There, I, I, there's obviously the easy thing to say about this team when you ask what's the, you know, what's the biggest question left? I think obviously you could talk about like running the football against a, a stout front or, you know, something on offense, I just don't think that that really matters because I think that offensively they've progressed enough that they're going to score 17 points every game. Likely going to score 24 points every game. They're just, they've progressed enough to be able to score two and a half touchdowns, maybe three and a half. So the way that they're going to win a national championship, the way they're going to go deep in the playoffs is on defense. And I do think that it could bite them in the butt. I do think that it can be a concern when you expose the center of the field like they do. Riddle me this, Calder. I think this is an interesting question. How much do we all enjoy as football fans watching the Grizz party in the pile? It's 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 phenomenal. It's it's it gets me going. It doesn't matter what color uniform it is. Doesn't matter who what the name is on the jersey is. If I see a football team play like that, I'm pretty interested in their culture. I'm pretty interested in in, in some of their players. To, to, to get a running back down, to get a slot receiver down and just cut a screen pass, do you need all 10 guys to be there? <laughs> right. 
Or could you stay home a little bit every now and then? Could you get instinctually ready to trust the guy in front of you? It just seems like they're so rabid that they have to get to the football that then when they are exposed, everyone's already looking for the ball. Like they're already looking at the quarterback and there's seven guys and now some guys just – I think that they're all the, the touchdowns they're going to give up this year are either going to be from the one-yard line or from the 50-yard line. I think there's very few in between. That's a very good and very interesting point. SkylineSportsMT.com here, host of the Big Sky Breakdown. Appreciate all of our great sponsors for riding along with us, including Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, a great place whether you're in the market for a mortgage, a car loan, uh, you want to just open a basic checking and savings account, Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. I had a question. I had a conversation with a uh, Grizz coach who shall remain nameless before the Eastern Washington game last year, and I was praising him or pra- praising their defense, saying I'm so impressed with how well you guys run to the ball. And he he said to me. But don't you think that's also our greatest weakness? And I think that's what makes sports so fascinating is sports parallels life. Almost always in life, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And so it is an interesting question. But I'll tell you this. After having watched what Montana was doing uh, defensively for the 2010s, it's a welcome return to see teams that actually know how to pursue and they run their absolute asses off and it is fun to watch. I don't know how you stat it. There's all sorts of controversy about the Grizz tackles and who gets what and what assists you get and whatever. But like truly the photos are hilarious. Like the running back is getting tackled by six guys. I mean the the level of recklessness and the level of physicality is just absurd. And I think that, I mean like right now, one of the breakout players statistically on this defense is Tyler Flink, a walk-on from Missoula Big Sky. He's got like four tackles for loss. He's had sacks two games in a row. Part of that is his work ethic and his ability to rise up and get in the game, but also part of it is that he's just happened to be in on third and 11. <laughs> Everybody's going to get a turn. It's just a matter of if it's your turn when the team's in a, when the opponent is in a, a weird situation. So uh, interesting. Last question about the Grizz before we move on uh, to the Bobcats. Is the RPO, the run-pass option stuff that the Grizz ran so explosively against Indiana State, particularly from the midway through the second quarter on, where they were lining up a, a whole variety of guys in the slot, is that the key to Montana actually making a run in a national championship? I like where you're going with it. I understand the question. I, I think that uh, I think it certainly could be. But I also would say that, I mean, I think everyone knows that to win a national championship, you got to take care of the football and you got to be able to run the ball a little bit. And, you know, they ran the ball okay. They've been, they've been ro- rolling in backs. You know, they've, they've been playing four or five backs every single game, which I don't mind. I, I would like to see someone get a little bit more of an opportunity to get a hot hand. It's kind of just like every possession changes. It's Xavier Harris to to Marcus Knight, to Nick Osmo. To, I mean, they're just kind of rolling around. Um, Isn't part of that, though, just that I think that Bobby Houck is trying to make as many possible guys on the roster confident before they get into the real meat of their schedule. I, I think that they are intentionally – I mean, they haven't had a running back have more than, more than 10 carries in a game. I think that's 100% fully calculated and by design. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, 
I just I'm trying to say that I just don't necessarily agree with that design. I like that design, but this in, man college football, especially at the FCS, man, there is there is not a lot of committees. Would you agree, Colter? The best teams that we've covered that have the best chance to win a natty, they are not playing five running backs. They just don't. Except for one team, North Dakota State. Yeah, they play. They play like a, a, a variety of superheroes that are <laughs> that aren't really. I mean, I guess it depends on who they have. When they have man bear pig Hunter Lepke, like they do right now, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, duh, you give that guy the ball. I mean, he's not going to wear out. He He's something freakish that is, I mean, I, honestly, this is not hyperbole. Hunter Lepke is like no running back we've ever seen it, at this level of football. And I don't mean necessarily in how good he is. I mean in how unique he is. You're just literally never going to find a 6'2", 240-pound guy who was a multiple-time heavyweight state champion wrestler and also a multiple-time 100-meter champion in, in track and field. You're never going to find it. Grizz fans are listening to this are saying, what about uh, Vince Genitone? Vince Genitone's great, but he wrestled at 205, not 250. <laughs> That's the difference. Is And Vince Genitone still has a lot to prove, and he's not playing offense at Montana either. Hunter Lepke's really like nothing we've ever seen. But North Dakota State has had multi-running backs systems. They've also had... Uh, they, there was a couple years when they had like Lance Dunn and, and Crockett and you're right. You're pointing with, at me with the two fingers. Regardless, I, I get what you're saying. I just think and this is what I've thought for a long time. Montana, if the juggernaut you got, if the Goliath you got to slay is North Dakota State, you can't beat them like by playing their game. The, the way that you beat them is you put speed on the outside and you just go crazy throw the ball 60 times and just try to run it up on them. RPOs, slot receivers, Aaron Fonson, Junior Bergen all day. I think it's the only chance he got. I agree with that. I understand the premise. So much of that um, is going to rely on Lucas Johnson and the offensive line. So I like where you're going with it. It's a little bit of a new concept as far as is the RPO going to take the grace to the promised land? I'm going to have to think on that for next week's breakdown more. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylandSportsMT.com, presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate Blackfoot for all of their continued sponsorship of all the stuff we do, whether it's the Montana Football Hour on Nuanas Now or the Soccer and Snow and Smoke podcast, co-hosted by Andrew Houghton, uh, or the Business Angle with Justin Angle, or the Big Sky Breakdown podcast. We appreciate all of their uh, engagement and all of their support as we continue to build this podcast network and this multimedia company and this uh, media enterprise Appreciate Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications is the official digital sponsor of Grizz Athletics. Okay, we're going to continue to talk about these these themes uh, as we move into Big Sky Conference play. But let's talk about the Bobcats. 68-28 to Oregon State. Uh, I think it was an expected loss, but it was a 13.5-point spread, not a 40-point spread. I think Montana State was well aware of how bad they got their butts kicked as well, though. Brent Vegan was completely uh, beside himself following the game. I was impressed by that. He did not pull what so many coaches try to pull, like, hey, we got in here, we got out of here, we got to check, we have a lot of things to build on. This is a good experience for us. There's a silver lining. He was asked directly, is there a silver lining? And he said, no, there's no silver lining. We lost by 40. We came in here expecting to not only compete but to win, and we did not do that whatsoever. I thought that – I think the Bobcats right now have a variety of issues, but their biggest issue – is not letting what happened on Saturday carry over uh, moving forward. You lost, you got whipped, that's it, that's all. 
I still think, though, three games into this season, we still have no idea about this Bobcat team. I think that there is a variety of outcomes, but I think that the ways that positive outcomes can occur is to not let getting whipped in Portland by Oregon State manifest and, and beat you multiple weeks in a row. Yeah, I, I, they got they got whipped, man. And I'm not that surprised by – I mean, I'm surprised that they didn't get a stop, really. You know, they never – they never really even bowed up and, and got like a long third down. I mean, it was they got worked pretty good. And when you get worked in the special teams the way they did too, I think that, you know, our our guy Tom Stuber, contributor at Skyline Sports, um, I think that he tweeted that they had a hundred and fifty some yards of kick return in just one quarter. Hundred and ninety three kick return yards in the third quarter. And and, and that's the point I want to make is the low hanging, fr- the way that the national media wants the football consuming public to consume football is through the lens almost exclusively of the quarterback. Therefore, every time a quarterback doesn't play well, all of the common fans want to blame it all on the quarterback. I'm here to tell you right now that Tommy Mallott, he's going through some growing pains. He is far down the list of the issues of Montana State. Special teams, effort and alignment and play calling is by far their biggest issue. Then schematics and alignment defensively is their second biggest issue. And then figuring out who the hell their leaders are defensively is their third biggest issue. Tommy Mallott and his three interceptions aren't in the top three of Montana State's issues right now. Yeah, I like that analysis right there, Colt. I think that's spot on. And, and Do they have a special teams coordinator? Justin Udy is the special teams coordinator. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he, um, you should probably hire one that just does special teams. We've been saying that for years. Um well, so here's the thing, too, that I thought was interesting, and then I'm not trying to bring any Cat Grizz stuff into this because it's not what I'm doing at all, but when the Grizz were playing Indiana State this weekend, they were putting stuff on film for other teams. The Cats are still putting stuff on film for themselves. They're still trying to figure out what they are going to do. They're not trying to figure out how can we have our running back throw two running back passes so that the next time he handles it, Next week, everyone's going to be nervous like the Grizz did with Junior Bergen. They aren't even thinking like that because they're still trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. We talked about the, the multiple uh, running backs kind of a by-committee approach that we've seen from you know teams around the country, but some of the leading teams oftentimes have bell cows. It's really, even if it's a two-prong system, well, the Cats are going to have to figure out how to run this two-quarterback system. That's not something that you can just like, if a coach who maybe Brent Vegan has experience with it, I have not heard him say he has. From a coaching perspective, Taylor Housewright probably doesn't have experience with it either. Very challenging just to say, you know what? First time we're going to run a two-quarterback system. I think that could be an issue, depending especially, again, on the hot hand thing. Athletes and players really like to gain momentum. You like to know what your role is and also be able to take something from someone rather than in and out and in and out and just kind of having packages built for one player. Let's diagnose defense because – it's supposed to be a very similar scheme to what they ran last year. In its broad premise, it's a four-two-five alignment with the nickel being kind of a big nickel that plays up in the box. But the way that the whole defense works is all predicated on, first and foremost, what the nose does, and then secondly, how many gaps one of the two inside linebacker spots can play. The defense, I'm having a hard time actually seeing the transition from last year to this year, even though when you look at them during fall camp and stuff like that, it looks the same. They have similar principles. I think they're playing a lot more man on the outside. I think Oregon State knew that, and they attacked the man coverage pretty prevalently uh, out of the slot uh, in that game. But I think, though, what the Cats are going through right now 
is they just don't have any in-game experience playing without a dude who runs 4-4-2 who's going to get 15 tackles a game. They're they're going through not having, you know, Hercules in the middle. Chase Benson, for all of his uh, his uh, physical ailments, still, when he flashes across the face to sort of start what they do up front with their stunts and things like that, he got wherever he wanted, wherever he wanted, pretty much whenever he wanted. I mean, pretty much dominated the opponent on the other side. And that that's not reflected in the statistics. That's just him beating you to the spot and making everything else flow cleanly. So do they have a guy that can go sideline to sideline like Troy Anderson? Well, no, no one has ever going to have that again in the Big Sky Conference probably. But they need to find out then how do you adjust? Like I think with what they're rolling with right now, uh, I think Jenny, Danny Ululia Capa has been swimming so far. I don't know why they don't just hand it to Nolan Askelson. I think Nolan Askelson's been their best inside linebacker. Carolina Riley's the preseason all-league guy. He's been okay, but I think Nolan Askelson's their best inside guy right now. I also think, though, they need – when you have Chase Benson and Daniel Hardy and Amandre Williams and Troy Anderson and Trey Webb, then everything's going to get filtered back to Callahan O'Reilly and Ty Okada. Now, those guys are supposed to be the ones that are making the plays and or filtering everything back towards everybody else. So you have to wonder, like, does does Okada need a new position? Does he need to play something other than the big nickel? Because he hasn't been involved as much as he was a year ago. It's the same thing with Jeffrey Manning. He just had to play center field last year, the last line of defense. I mean, he had like 30 tackles because everything's getting eaten up in front of him. He's just allowed to sit back there and ball hawk. It's very similar position to what Jacque Allen played. They're just playing center field. There's nothing behind you. You can go pick stuff off if it's in front of you. No real responsibility in the run fit, any of that stuff. I just think that what they're going through right now from in all three levels of their defense is that every guy has to – they're trying to learn how to play the scheme in a completely different way because they have to because they don't have the guys they had a year ago. Yeah, and then this isn't – I'm not going to call this a full like apple before the cart kind of thing because last year's defensive coordinator, um, Freddie Banks, I think that this was going to be the system that he was going to run regardless. He comes from the same tree as, as Garza does as well. Um, but they kind of were, they, they put, they implemented a four, two, five cause they had the personnel and now they don't. Right. I, it's kind of like, I don't know how they can get out of that. I just don't think that they should run a four, two, five. I mean, I know that might be speaking out of turn a bit, but like, you in a four-two-five, you have to have elite plug players. Right. Troy Anderson. I mean, it's like you know, I can't wait till a couple years down the road we don't have to talk about him anymore because like I want to talk about him playing in the NFL, not right. in college. But it's just the truth, right? Callahan O'Reilly is not Troy Anderson. Danny Yu is just not Troy Anderson. That plug player, the middle of the field with only two guys in that little second level there, is just it's so exposed if you don't have fucking dogs. Yeah, it's it's true, and th- that's what Oregon State did. They just attacked the middle of the field over and over and over again. I mean, Chance Nolan threw, I think he completed 19 passes, and I think 15 of them were for first downs or touchdowns. I mean, they, they averaged, I think, 14.7 yards per completion. So, I mean, just you look at the, the completion chart, it's just 17 yards, 23 yards, 26 yards, 17 yards, 14 yards, first down. I mean, Oregon State had 32 first downs. It's, a, it's an unbelievable Number And again, it's a Pac-12 team. I think Oregon State's going to be better than almost anybody thinks that they're going to be. I think that's one of the three or four best teams 
in the pack, but that's not an excuse for Montana State. I think that they do they need to figure it out. But but that's the whole thing about this level of football too, though, is you're expected to be developmental. You're expected to get better as the season goes along. That's what the formula at North Dakota State is. You build it and keep getting better in perpetuity forever. But North Dakota State still gets better every single week, as even dating back to when Brent Vegan was there 10-plus years ago. And so that's the the style that Brent Vegan wants to employ here at Montana State. MSU also, you know, they they figured out a way to gut it out all year last year until then they started rolling. And I think that that's going to be a similar formula now that they're into Big Sky Conference play. So while I do think that they have some issues on special teams and defensively, I don't think they're unsolvable issues. I actually think they're plenty solvable. I actually do think... I think that the Cats still have a lot of dogs defensively. I just don't, they're just not the guys that they had last year, but that's never going to happen again. I mean, that was one of the most talented teams we've ever covered in the Big Sky Conference. So, uh, last thing here on the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks to JB Restaurant Supply uh, for their continued support and continued partnership uh, here at uh, Skyline Sports. If you're having a big tailgate, and there's some Montana State home games coming up in October, including a night game on October 1st. JV Restaurant Supply is your home for everything tailgate. Visit jvrestaurant.com to go check out all of their sweet tailgating gear. If you're hosting a party, a tailgate, a reunion, anything, you're going to want to check out jvrestaurant.com. JV Restaurant, JV Restaurant Supply, uh, your home for everything kitchen. Um, last thing for you, then the the uh, the elephant in the room is is Tommy Malott, and I know that I have advocated for Tommy Malott a lot more than a lot of people. I still think that he has, he will have the ability to be good. I think that his running ability and his toughness, plus uh, his cerebral acumen, are things that are going to be tough for someone to unseat him with. I also think, though, that Sean Chambers is a great dual threat that can only do one part of the dual threat. He can't throw. And Tommy Mallott is struggling a little bit to throw the ball right now. Sean Chambers is completely struggling to throw the ball at all. I mean, he's throwing grounders when he gets – I mean, he was even looking bad throwing the ball against Moorhead State. So where are we at, though, with the Cats? Because the running back story is a huge storyline. The offensive line, I think, has actually been the surprise of the team. I think the offensive line has been very good, and they were absolutely hanging with Oregon State. We thought that was going to be a huge issue. I think they have good talent on the outside of receiver. They just got to find a way to get these guys the ball. Where are we at, though, with this? Because like you said, they don't. They, there's not really a, a ton of experience running a two-quarterback system. But also, uh, buy or sell uh, with Tommy Mallott and what you've seen so far. It's exactly what I thought. and I mean, people don't want to hear it. You know, They just don't. They don't want to hear what my opinion of Tommy Mallott is. Um, but I'm going to give it to you. Is that he's never been a great thrower of the ball. Uh anywhere between four and 11 yards. It's just not his thing. Um, you know, I'm sure he was better at it at high school and all that stuff that makes no sense to me because it just doesn't matter. College football is real big, a little bit bigger than a Montana high school football. Um, it just, he has a long way to develop. He, There's a reason you do not put a future rising star at quarterback on kickoff. You don't put a future rising star at quarterback at wide receiver. You don't ask him to stock block and then run down and make tackles if he is truly a next level prospect in your program. So that's number one. I, I, do I think that Tommy has the ability to win football games in the Big Sky Conference? I really do. I think that he's got so much talent. 
um, his athletic ability, the way he processes, um, mostly you know the pass rush and things in front of him with the ball. When he lets go of the ball, you know the processing ends and and it's not always on on mark. And I think that's a lot because he's a young guy. I also think a lot of it is that just as they projected him, I don't know if I if he's a natural quarterback. Right. Not that many guys make it as non naturals. Like you know, I don't even think Sean Chambers is that natural of a quarterback, and you can kind of see what that looks like. You know, you talk about like NFL guys, you know, guys that we can really dissect and look at. Like, there's been one ever, like I can think of, like maybe Ryan Tannehill. I don't even know. Quarterbacks are quarterback guys. Tommy Law is a football guy. Um, after the Troy Anderson thing, I think everyone's thinking 2.0. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Do I b- believe that he can develop? Oh gosh, geez, yeah, sure I do. <laughs> Last point here. The the one of the most false narratives in the Big Sky Conference is that you got to have one of if the be- if not the best quarterback in the league to win the league. It's absolutely not true. The last 22 years of Big Sky Conference championships, I can go all the way through my head. You want to know the only two programs that had the best quarterback in the league when they won the league title? Montana State when they had Daenerys McGee and Eastern Washington when they had either you know Bo Levi Mitchell or uh, Vernon Adams. Not even Gage Guber won a Big Sky title. I mean, they were, they were tied for the league championship or whatever, but as far as outright titles and the quarterback being the focal point of what you do, Alex Caressa and Stephen Cantwell and Cole Berquist and... Andre Brodus at Cal Poly and, you know, uh, the variety, Amon Olsen at uh, Southern Utah. I mean, the, you, you want to know what, though? It's all about it meshing with the identity of your team. People, if people want Tommy Malott to be the next Dave Dickinson, it ain't happening. If they want him to be the next Vernon Adams, it ain't happening. If they want him to be a better version of Stephen Cantwell, though, that could absolutely happen. If they want him to be a better version of Alex Caressa at Portland State, that can absolutely happen. That well, The other thing I think people need to figure out is that I hate to break it to everybody, but most quarterbacks suck. Most of them suck compared to the defenses that they're going against. Did you watch Monday Night Football last night? Kirk Cousins is the ninth highest paid quarterback on the planet Earth. He sucks. Jalen Hurts is kind of good. He's probably in the top 10 now. He's still, like, not that good. There is so few guys that are Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. We all want them to be all that. They're not. Almost everybody's not. So so if your goals are to win conference championships and make playoff runs, you don't have to be that good. Here's what you have to be. You have to be tough mentally, first and foremost, and then physically, and you have to fit the identity of what your team is. Tommy Mallott was the perfect fit for the Bobcats a year ago. Now I think that that's what they got. That's what they got to roll with. They need to make everybody else be the perfect fit for him as well. That's the style of football they need him to be able to play. The one thing, though, is that eludes him, though, that Cantwell did so well and Caressa did so well is third and six, you get the eight-yard gain. That's his issue is that he can he can throw back shoulder all day to Lance McCutcheon. Can he be able to convert within – the scope of they just need him to be able to make crucial plays in the scope of the game. But I, I'm still not selling on Tommy Malott yet because I think that Brett Vegan's a good quarterback coach. I think Taylor Housewright's going to figure out a way to put them in a position to succeed. And I also think that when it comes down to it, when you're in the, the throes of big sky conference play, there's going to be a few premier primetime games on the schedule for Montana State. Otherwise, Tommy Watts can be able to rush for 125 yards against whoever the hell they play. I heard Trent Dilfer, who's a you know a pretty uh, 
pretty strong football mind, um, especially at the quarterback position. He talked about this, Coulter, that within the scope of a game, if you throw the ball between 25 and 30 times, that 15 of those throws should be dialed up. You don't have to think about it. They're completions because your coach made it happen. Montana State, Taylor Housewright need to make that happen for Tommy Mallott. He needs to get going. He needs to have throws that are just absolute guaranteed. We schemed the absolute piss out of them. Sure, Oregon State, tough, tough matchup. Of course, that's not going to happen a ton. But moving forward, I think you'd have to agree that we need to get Tommy Mallott some reps and get him some completions that are dialed up, right? Number two is Brett Began is a good quarterback coach. That's been proven, um, not necessarily at Montana State yet, but I think that we can trust in that just by his resume. Really be this. When I watch time a lot in the pocket, I see such quiet feet. I see such quiet hips. I see a, guy, a kid who stands tall, a kid who throws like someone's trying to learn how to throw a baseball or something. You got to do the Dak Prescott flip your hips. You got to get moving. You got to step into stuff. You got to like be confident with it. He has enough arm talent naturally that he can just flick little elbow throws wherever he wants in the field, but they're not really finding their place. They're not quite as accurate as we want them to be. I think that that a little bit has to do with more, not upstairs. And not really with the arm. It has to do with more of his legs. I think that a quarterback who has such a dynamic running profile, you just imagine that he's dynamic in the pocket. And I don't see Tommy Lott being that much in the pocket. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Appreciate everybody uh, for joining us. More to come here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Appreciate all of our fine sponsors, including Town Pump. Town Pump uh, is kind enough to keep us fueled up, both in terms of our snacks and our gasoline on the road. Part of the crew going west to Cheney, Washington on Saturday. Part of the crew uh, actually have, have some people coming into Missoula as well for the homecoming game as well. And we appreciate Town Pump uh, for keeping us on the road, keeping us fueled up. One other thing I want to talk about, we don't have time to do it today. There's a real narrative that hasn't been addressed that it's very possible that Montana State hasn't actually had a real good quarterback coach, truly just a pure only quarterbacks coach in a decade plus. They've had, I think, 12 of them <laughs> in the span of the last 11 years, uh, but they haven't had uh, a true quarterback coach with consistency. Maybe Brent Vegan, Taylor Housewright proved that wrong. We shall see. We'll address that next week. Also, per the debate on Bobcat Nation, Tommy Lott's a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal competitor. I think he's a very unique weapon. For those that are wondering and trying to compare and contrast between Dakota Prukop and Tommy Lott, it ain't close. Dakota Prukop was failed by the adults surrounding him during his two primary years as the starter at Montana State. Dakota Prukop is a pro. Dakota Prukop is still playing pro football. And, and that's not a slight of Tommy Mott whatsoever. Dakota Prukop is the answer for who's better, not in terms of the success of their team or the scope of what they meant to the program or any of that stuff. Dak Live is, in terms of individual gifts and talent, the best quarterback Montana State's had since we started Skyline Sports, and I don't think it's close. Uh, more on the Big Sky Breakdown right after this. Keep it right here. Join Town Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any Town Pump across Montana. Plus, earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com slash rewards to register and start saving. Well, look at us, finally, and maybe not finally, I don't know, I hate wishing time away, but either way, Big Sky Conference play is upon us. Most of the Big Sky opens up league play this week, and that means now 
One of our main contributors here at Skyline Sports, Ty Gregorak, he'll make his color commentating debut on MTN uh, with conference play opening up for Montana State at Eastern Washington. Are you nervous, big man? What's going on? What's going through your head? Uh, I'm not nervous yet, Coulter. Give, give me a few days. and uh, nah, I, I'm actually excited, man. I get to go watch college football every Saturday from here on out and, and talk talk ball, and you know, hopefully I do a decent job doing it. But no, I'm, I'm fired up for it. I was just saying, I wish I didn't have to start it in Cheney. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that is my backyard, too. I'm from there, and I think we're staying, staying downtown Spokane tonight. So, I mean, in that regard, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it'd be an interesting experience for you, too, because you've been at so many different college football games as a player at Colorado, as a coach, whether it's at Washington or Montana or Central Washington or Montana State. And uh, as a fan in these last couple of years, that's probably been an interesting experience for you. But I can't wait for you to be in the box because I, I hear it from so many different people. Oh, man, isn't it boring being up there? You can't drink. You can't do all this. And I'm like, no, it's great because you get, you know, got all the stats. Everybody's paying attention. You're like hyper focused on the game. It's super fun. So I can't wait for you to experience it from that angle. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, coaching 15 years in the big sky. I actually spent a good chunk of it on the sideline. Right. But I also I also spent a chunk of it up in the box. So um, I, I, I've, I've seen both both angles of it. And then, uh, like you and I were talking right before the show, the few games that I did for Root there in 2019, a couple of them were actually in Cheney. So I, I've kind of, you know, been there, done that, kind of know the lay of the land up there and, um you know, like I said, I'm just fired, to, fired up to get rolling. I know next week we're off because ESPN picked up that game on, on uh, ESPNU against Davis. But, again, I'm just excited to be around the game again and looking forward to having some fun with it. Well, I, I want to talk to you about a variety of different things. Uh, but first and foremost, I, I have a broad question for you. And the question is, you, you've been a part of a couple teams uh, in the Big Sky Conference that have gone undefeated. But most teams, most years, no matter how great you are, you lose one or two or, or a bunch, just depending on how it goes. But so often at this level of football, when you lose, how you play after that is such a key to your season. Montana State's coming off of a butt kicking. I mean, they got whipped uh, against Oregon State in Portland. And I know people can say, you know, Pac-12 opponent, whatever. They were very dissatisfied with their effort. They were very dissatisfied with the result of the game. How do you bounce back from a loss, though, and how important is it to be able to bounce back from losses? How tough is this going to be for the Cats, given that this loss, it's not a national championship game loss where you have a whole offseason to prepare. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a regular season loss coming into conference play. It, it's a huge week in that regard because you're going on the road again. You've got a backfield that, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to get so many different guys to football right now because their running back room is – absolutely depleted you know i think what they're doing with sean chambers is, is, is pretty awesome actually between him and tommy there in the backfield but um i am a little concerned i really am just because that was that was a uh okay oregon state's gonna have a pretty decent year in the pac-12 i believe okay, I, I think they're, i think i think jonathan smith and langy suanoa and jay cookus and Fence henson and all these cats that have now been there for a while have, have done a good job building this thing up but that was that was a uh, that was a pretty rough outing on you know two and a half of the three phases of the game there. Um, you know I, I I've listened to your show the last couple of days. Special you know I I think you and I've talked about this actually a year ago. Uh, again I I just don't know how you can keep doing the special teams by committee if you're if you're just 
going to be average to poor at it. You know, like that. For sure. That, that's a that, that's a phase of the game that can get you beat. And again, I know they were a little bit outmatched on Saturday night, but I, I just without having a true special teams coordinator that that's all he does. It's just interesting to me. I guess that, that's all I'll say. Now, listen, there's other teams in the country, lots of teams in the country that do it by committee. I don't know. I just, in terms of self-scouting and doing, you know, some some self-reflection and self-evaluation, that, that that's just a phase of the game that has got to stop, um, you know, be, being one of the main main reasons. Not one of the main reasons. I think back to some of their their losses in the last, you know, the last time they lost games. So Oregon State. Uh, Montana and Missoula there, especially in terms of abysmal. So, I mean, that, that's concerning me. Defensively, wow. I mean, that was, um, that was, that was, that was kind of painful to watch. I mean, I, I, I agree with you in one of your shows. Like, who's going to step up as the leader of this defense? Right. You know, is it, you know, Ty, Ty Okada kind of made his niche there as, you know, former walk on who's become a captain, who's a, who's, he's a leader, he's an awesome kid. But he kind of made his niche, you know, being able to do one thing, and that was the nickelback. And now they're asking him to be a primetime safety. You know, Callahan O'Reilly, great story, another great story. Kid who, kid who, you know, came came on from Bozeman and has earned and worked himself into being an all-conference linebacker. Is he going to step up and be that vocal leader? I, I just, we all know what they lost last season, okay? But now who's going to kind of, you know, stand up and say, all right, enough's enough. We, we got to. And there's always been the thought that, okay, a special teams is, you know, one third of the game. That's not true. It's not actually a third of the game in the percentage wise, but it can impact other parts of the game in such a huge way. So it becomes a way bigger factor than the amount of plays that you play on the field. And that's what happened to Montana State. Not only were they swimming defensively and having a hard time getting lined up and having a hard time figuring out which way they were going, who's going where, but also when you're having a hard time getting lined up, you're having a hard time figuring out who's going where, and then you're playing with, you know, only 25 yards of turf right behind you, That that's a concerning situation. I mean, they were not only uh, poor execution-wise defensively, but they had their backs against the wall too. So they're going to have to figure it out moving forward. But that's the whole thing though, right, is, is you, you did what you did on Saturday. It was disappointing. They didn't look good. There's a lot to clean up. But you got to do it because you got a conference opponent on the on the horizon. Well, Co- Coach Vegan said that after the ball game, we can't let this one you know, kick our butt next week too. You know, so it's, but, but you're right. The special teams and the thing about special teams is is you know almost every position on the field has a part of special teams. You know, minus. But I mean, shoot, even even our quarterbacks, even Montana State's quarterbacks, have had parts of special teams. Uh, you know, some of your interior offensive linemen, unless it's PAT field goal. They're not going to see special teams, but every position is involved. And, you know, I, I think back to my last year's defense coordinator at Montana State. People forget little things like, you know, because you're right, one, one definitely has a hand in the other. We were last in the country, last in the entire nation in FCS in kickoff coverage. You don't think that you don't think that has an effect on defensive football? Right. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, so if you just looked at the score and you, you looked at the statistics, you'd go, what the heck is wrong with their defense? And obviously they've got some things to clean up. And, and, and again, Pac-12 school, there's, there's going to absolutely be some mismatches. But I, I, sh- I, I think the other two phases of the game definitely didn't help the Montana State defense on Saturday. So, again, they it, quick turnaround. I mean, they're traveling on Friday, so they had you know, five, five days essentially to, to get it cleaned up and get some boys healed up. And, God, hopefully they can start getting some of those, those, those tailbacks. Healthy. I mean, I, I do appreciate and respect some of the creativity that that, that uh, Taylor Housewright 
has got working in the offense right now. He, he, I mean, he's got to dig deep right now in the old toolbox because they're, I mean, there, there's so many dudes that getting different touches. I mean, I, I've started to watch games over again, you know, and when they're, when they're giving Ryan Fitzgerald the football, right? Wow. Okay. You know I mean? I, I love RJ. Don't get me wrong. I love RJ, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of dudes getting touches that, you know, minus Isaiah Fonse and Lane, some there probably shouldn't be getting carries, but you know, so, some of the creativity and getting Trayton Pickering and, and Derek Snell and, some of these guys involved and, you know, Willie P and a lot of perimeter stuff. I mean, the perimeter, the perimeter was never going to be a good thing for the Bobcats against really, really skilled at Pac-12 athletes. But in the, in the big sky, I think they can get back to getting some really good things going on the perimeter myself. Tiger Greg joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks to all of our great sponsors here at the Big Sky Breakdown. Uh, including Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Appreciate them for riding uh, along with us uh, all football season. Last question on the past before we get to the future here, Ty, uh, on the Montana State angle of things. Uh, when you watch their defense, what is their biggest issue right now? I, I know that it's a similar scheme to last year. It seems like they're playing more man. I don't know if they're playing uh, the man coverage part of it that well, though, right now. I think that's one of the issues. But when you watch it, what do you see? I mean, what, what is eluding Montana State defensively right now? I think just just the big plays. I, I, I'm 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 wondering truly who you know who who is the leader of the defense right now, and then and then obviously again <laughs> you lose some of the dudes. Uh, you know there there was a mistake. Freddie Freddie did a great job last year, and they had a fantastic defense. But you also you also had elite FCS caliber athletes making plays for you. You know, and when you've got Daniel Hardy and Troy Anderson and Amandre Williams essentially. Uh, turning everything back into the defense, it allows guys like Callahan O'Reilly and Nolan Aspen and you know uh, Danny Yu was, was a young player who I think has got a really bright future ahead of him. But again, I don't get to sit and evaluate it in a dark room for hours like I used to. But I, I just feel like some of the man concepts that they look like they're playing, they've just got to get some, some gap assignment cleaned up because it's you know, just too many big holes for some of these backs to be getting, you know getting free in so I don't know I mean it'll be interesting to see how Eastern you know I know that quarterback had a really really nice game coming out against an FCS an inferior FCS at home but you know for a kid in the uh, Talkington kid who you know waited waited for his number to finally be called after Barry uh, graduated you know the kids already got seven passing touchdowns and had over 400 yards of offense as first outing and then obviously they got Blown out by uh, an Oregon, a good Oregon team, but it should be it should be very. I'm I'm excited to see how they respond, and they they really do need to respond in, in a hurry because, as you know, the Bobcats have not fared well historically, uh, both against Eastern Washington, but in particular in Cheney. One question on the Grizz before we get to just the overlook of the Big Sky, and uh, also just uh, the the weekend of conference openers here. Coming up, uh, Montana again. Uh, they roll forty-nine uh, fourteen over Indiana State, and you can feel the hype building. And this is something that it used to be commonplace in Missoula, and it's been a little while. But they've been they've been sort of tasting it the last couple of years. But now you can really feel it. The town's a buzz. I can tell by all of our engagements, all of our interactions on whether it's social media or the downloads on the podcast or whatever. People are really interested and really excited about this Grizz team. That, I think, though, is going to be one of, if not the Grizzlies, number one opponents moving forward here. So uh, you've coached in Montana. 
what's it like trying to mitigate uh, just all of the the external factors, whether it's the hype, the criticism, the expectation, all that sort of thing. I think they're I think they're finally back in a position where Bobby wants them, but where Bobby was comfortable there in the early 2000s, where if there was a little adversity or we got down, there was never a doubt or or, or, or any guys on the like wavering that we we, were, we believed we were going to win. The game. And I think that that's where he's finally got that back to. Have they truly been tested yet? No. Were they trust, tested early in that game, going on the road, and you know they, they popped a couple big plays? And I'm sure, like you said in one of your shows recently, that's probably good for them. Um, but I think this team is poised to make a run with just everything they've got. The quarterback is doing a fantastic job for him. Defense, you, you, you know, um, I mean, how special, I, mean, I don't know how else to say it. This is a special, special outfit uh, for, for an FCS defense. I think, I think, I know what you're saying, but I, I think they're now to a point now where if they get down and you're in Pocatello, Idaho, and you need a field goal to win, there's... 90 guys uh, on the football team that believe they're going to win. And I, I, I mean, I know Portland state has at times played well against Montana. And, you know, I heard you yesterday. Well, you know, Bruce, Bruce and Bobby are friends and Bruce, Bruce knows Bobby. Well, Coulter, who doesn't know Bobby at, 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 at this juncture <laughs> of his career? He's, he's the longest tenured head coach in the big sky by, by a margin. I mean, other than Dan Hawkins, who's just coached in other places, Bobby is, Bobby is it. So everybody knows Bobby. Everybody knows what Bobby wants to do and his mentality. They're going to play good defense, good special teams, and control the clock. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll be honest. I mean, I know I know Portland State has some athletes. And, again, they, they beat they beat this outfit a couple years ago in uh, in Washington Grizz. I, I, I think Montana runs away with it myself. I think they Yep. Well, let's talk about the big sky then. And, and the openers for the Montana schools include uh, Montana State at Eastern Washington, Portland State at Montana. You also have a good one between Weber State and UC Davis, a sneaky good one between Idaho and NAU. Well, my question for you, Ty, is this. Do we learn anything from the non-conference? Because I don't know if we did. It seemed like everybody played either up or down, and there was only a few. I mean, UC Davis and South Dakota State, Northern Arizona, North Dakota, and North, Northern Arizona, Sam Houston – those are only the real, like the only real crossover games. I guess Montana, South Dakota, was as well. Otherwise, it was like you were playing up, you were playing down. So I don't think we can judge anything in the Big Sky right now based on teams' overall records or even what we've seen in the non-conference so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I personally have a real distaste for playing up and playing down because you know, in the first month of football, you're you're right. How how do you judge what you just saw? I mean, unless, but again. University of Montana, who had a very nice football team last year, was a quarterfinal team, went to the University of Washington and won, beat, an in, beat, beat a superior team. Well, they still got knocked out in the second round of the playoffs, right? So I, I just – or third round, third round, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I just – I like looking at the, the FCS games. Are some of the Southland teams we saw that good? No. But it's still, it's still more of an even playing field. And so I just think, you know, like you said uh, – you're right. I think it's it's tough to judge. Here we go. These are all live bullets now, and and, and you know, every one of these. Not the preseason doesn't count, but you know, in terms of the conference and postseason aspirations, they really really count. But I mean, what, what I see is an excellent Montana football team that, that like you said, just kind of needs to stay out of their own way and continue to take care of business. I think Weber, I think Weber State, 
I think Weaver State is a team that, you know, Coach Hill might have backed into, into some real contention. They, they, they look pretty darn good. I don't care how good or bad Utah State is this year. What they did to Utah State was embarrassing if you're Utah State. For sure. Um, I mean, they kicked their ass. I mean, they, they beat them bad. I mean, yeah. they beat them really bad. I mean, not since the debacle that was uh, Portland State, North Texas, have you seen an FCS butt kick? You know, so I just think I think that there, I think we kind of know who the good three, four teams are going to be, and you know who who that mid that mid pack that could maybe make some noise. But again, from from the month of September alone, I think it's going to be tough to tell exactly where some of these teams fit for another couple of weeks. I, I think I think you and I come back to that question maybe after the first two 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 uh, conference game. I know, I know a couple of teams. Who's got who's got to go to Florida? Is that Idaho? Yeah, uh, no, Eastern Washington does. So they had a bye last week, and now they've got Montana go to Florida. Uh, you got to love if you're Coach Best. You're just sitting there going, "Okay, what else can we do for this athletic program?" Yeah, that's I right. For money. Oh, you want us to go play Oregon? Awesome. Let's go to let's go to Gainesville, Florida. Awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just I got to tell you, even Montana State. Okay, so they got a check for six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. That's right. Whoopie In my mind, it's like okay, so you just got you just got piss pounded on the Pac-12 network and gave up the most points since like World War II or whatever I read. And you get a check for 675000 What if you stay at home, Coulter, and get a whole bunch of tickets? I bet you make a lot more money. For sure. I mean, I'm serious. I, again, I just, I've never understood it. I know there's certain programs that have to do it, but there's also certain programs that don't have to do it in my mind. And I just, anyway, I'm excited to get the conference rolling. I'm excited to see big sky schools playing big sky schools. And, and again, I'm excited to, Come back in a couple weeks. He's Ty Gregorak. You can find him each week here on the Big Sky Breakdown. You can also find him on the call on Saturday from Cheney, Washington on MTN, the Montana Sports Network. Uh, Ty, appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. And uh, best of luck with your media debut. We'll see you in the press box uh, on Saturday. Uh, but thanks for being here. Sounds good, culture. I can't wait to see you in Cheney. And yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I always appreciate it. Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at goblackfoot.com slash apply. Big Sky Breakdown, a lot of great analysis so far. Uh, Brooks Nuanas, Ty Gregorak, appreciate, appreciate those guys for joining us. And uh, thanks to our great sponsors as well. Uh, hitting the road this weekend again, headed to eastern Washington. Myself, I am. Andrew Houghton, who joins us next, he'll be here in Missoula. So it'll be me, Blake Hempstead, headed to Cheney, and Tom Stuber as well to cover Montana State at uh, eastern Washington. And then on to Seattle to cover the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Atlanta Falcons. Troy Anderson playing there uh, in the Emerald City. And uh, Andrew will be here and uh, TBD on the uh, the photographer, but we'll find one, I promise you. But regardless, uh, should be a fun matchup. But we also got to thank Town Pump for helping us uh, travel all season long. Uh, we'll have a promotion all football season. Town Pump by the mile will we'll be giving you uh, opportunities to win $50 gift cards from Town Pump. So thanks to Town Pump. Uh, Town Pump, there's uh, fueling stations, food stores all over the place uh, here in the state of Montana. So thanks to Town Pump. 
uh, for keeping us uh, on the road all football season. Uh, Andrew has a weekly installment on Skyline Sports around the big sky, and uh, it's evolved and diversified into what it is now, which is sort of some quick but uh, in-depth analysis of each game, each team throughout the big sky, using some films, some videos, uh, within the context of it. So go check that out. And in there this week, too, we have a Big Sky Power Rankings. Um, and the league right now, as we enter Big Sky Conference play, is pretty pretty cut and dry uh, just in terms of – I think there's some teams that could maybe move from the second tier to the top tier. Uh, and we'll find out a little bit more this weekend. But, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty – cut and dry with the hierarchy already in the league even though league play has just begun but this weekend is going to teach us a lot yeah Coulter I didn't really have too many tough calls which sort of defeats the point of a power ranking or at least of my power rankings because pretty much everybody can see that Montana and Weber State and Sacramento State are really good I had a couple tough calls I thought the tiers were pretty well defined my toughest calls were probably between Sac State and Montana State for that number three spot. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Cats are just so hard to rank because they haven't yeah. played anybody on their level. Yeah. You know, they've played two non-competitive FCS games. And then I think Oregon State is going to be really good this year. And they just sort of outclassed Montana State. Is that bad for the Cats? I mean, yes. Does it say really anything about what kind of team they are? I'm not sure. But we are going to get to to see a lot of this shake out this week. I love every game on the schedule this week. I think we're going to find out a lot about these teams this week. I mean, we've got I've got Northern Arizona and Idaho right next to each other at six and seven. They're going to play each other this week. Of course, Northern Colorado and Idaho State, who I've got last and next to last, they're going to play each other this week. But also, you know, Sacramento State going to Colorado State. We're going to learn a lot, I think, about the Hornets based on the results of that game. Montana State and Eastern Washington, that's a great game for determining, you know, is Montana State still in that top tier, right? And is maybe Eastern Washington in that top tier? Later on this week, we're going to have a story about Gunnar Talkington. And I think that there's like a, a consensus narrative around the big sky that I don't know is, if it's necessarily true, and that's that Gunnar Talkington isn't any of the Eastern Washington quarterbacks that came before him. That might be true. But Efton Chisholm told me today that Gunnar Talkington has a way stronger arm than Eric Berrier. He said he's got the best arm of anybody he's been with at Eastern Washington. Granted, Efton Chisholm's only a sophomore, so there's only a couple of guys to compare to. But I thought that was a very interesting statement uh, to be made. And I, I do think that the Eastern Washington game, maybe Eastern's better than even I've been giving them credit for. I don't know. Uh, and Montana State might be overhyped. They might be uh, as advertised. We re- we just really don't know. They definitely did not show well against uh, Oregon State. I thought it was not a good showing. I think part of it was the, the difference in level between the team they played the week before and Moorhead State, where they completely outclassed them, even with some of their uh, attrition right now. And then they go play a really good Pac-12 school. But also there's just a lot of misexecution. One thing, though, where I don't know the way that football has evolved and the way fantasy football has influenced us and the way the NFL narratives influence all the other narratives in football. We've come to this point where we have all agreed that it's okay to devalue running backs. But when you 
run the ball for a living like Montana State has for, you know, not just the better part of 10 years, for all of time. That's what Montana State does is they run the ball. And uh, I don't think there's been given enough credence that not only the best player on their team, but perhaps the best player in the league is not playing. And that's Isaiah Fonse. I mean, you talk about Troy Anderson, this and Daniel Hardy, that, and you know, whatever. There was a, so many great players who we've talked about extensively on the team last year. Isaiah Fonse won Montana state two of their games by himself. I mean, he rushed for 200 and something yards against Eastern Washington last year in Cheney to win that game. Basically, I mean, it was 17-17 with nine minutes to go against Portland State, and he rushed for like 125 yards and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, put the team on his back and won that game too. So I guess what I'm saying is there is some teams that can lose their running backs, and it's not as big a part of the narrative, but I think it should be a huge part of the narrative for Montana State. I mean, the other thing is they're going to run nothing but zone read stuff with Tommy Mallott. If you don't have running backs, you can't run zone reads. Now you're just running QB power, so it makes your offense half as diverse as it could be, even if you're playing two quarterbacks. Anyways, I agree because I I think that one of the things that always has an impact on the Montana schools that is not as nearly a big of a factor for the rest of the league is the noise around them. And if you're Montana State and you go get your ass kicked twice in a row, now the narrative is starting to build that you're just a shell of the team from last year and, and, you know, all of the things that go with that. It's just, it's the same thing with the Grizz, too. They're going to experience narrative fluctuations throughout the year, or they're going to have to deal with the narrative that they're just so damn good, they're going to have to be playing themselves, their own expectations. But um, that's all to say, though, that it's a huge game for Montana State and a huge game for Eastern Washington, but I think it's a way bigger game for the Cats. What say you? I almost agree with that. I think they really do need to bounce back after the Oregon State game. Now, what you're talking about, of course, that's why I don't like to do power rankings every week so that you're not reacting to a new narrative every week based on what happened in 60 minutes the week before. That's why I try to do them, you know, three, maybe four times throughout a season so that you have some data in there. But I think you're right. I mean, when we get to conference play, every game is a big game for these teams, right? That's the other part of it. Not a lot of these teams can afford more than two, maybe three conference losses if you want to be in contention for the playoffs. And, you know, the Cats have a little bit of leeway because they have two Division One wins in the non-conference. That's going to help them out a lot. But when it comes to achieving the goals that they want to achieve, it's not just about making the playoffs, right? Like, this is a huge game if they want a bye in the first round, if they want to be home home field advantage in the playoffs. You, you can't have a slip-up. Who and how you schedule is so important, too. And that's the other fascinating part about this Big Sky Week 1 because there are some teams that we're not even sure about. Montana State's one of them. UC Davis and Idaho are also two teams that we need way more data on. And because Idaho had to play two money games, they're one and two. Because UC Davis played a money game against Cal and also decided to play uh, an away game against number two South Dakota State, they're one and two. Well, guess what? If you lose your conference over, now you're one and three, and the playoffs starts in week five. So that makes the the Weber State game huge because Weber could have a statement win to start conference. But also, if Davis loses that game, then they're in the playoffs the next week, basically, when they go to Bozeman, 
But that's also a dangerous situation for the Cats then, too, because you're playing a UC Davis team that can't lose again. And so this is where the dominoes are going to start to fall. But that's what's so fascinating about this is because you had multiple teams, Portland State's another one, that played two money games and lost two money games, you're already starting the season with such an uphill battle. Yeah, and I wrote about that a little bit. You know, I think UC Davis is good. They're also one and two. They're playing Weber State and Montana State in the next two weeks. Like, I could say in two weeks, I can still think that UC Davis is pretty good. And guess what? They're going to be one and four and their season's over. Same thing for Portland State. Portland State has no margin for error. And it came down to the last two minutes of their first game of the season when they gave up that go-ahead touchdown to San Jose State. Flipping that game from a win to a loss is now huge for for the Vikings. I mean, they got to go... Six and two in conference, they really they can't afford that many losses, and they're coming to Montana this week. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how many teams their backs are going to be against the wall right away, but it's going to influence the playoff race. The other thing is going to be when you know let let's say you got a, a UC Davis team that is some you know just insert team name here, but say it's one of the the group of Montana State or UC Davis or or uh, Idaho or NAU or whomever, Eastern Washington. And because of schedule more than ability, they are sitting there at two and four or three and five. But then they still have all this to play for. There's just going to be a lot of efforts. It seemed like it's been chalked to this point. But once a team that we thought was going to be in the mix that falls out of the mix because of their schedule – like, I wouldn't want to play Eastern Washington the second half of the year. Like, if Eastern Washington's got five losses when they come to Missoula in November, I am worried if I'm the Grizz. The Grizz aren't going to be worried about anybody, but you know what I'm saying. Like, that's a you're going to have a team that's maybe out of it that's going to be hungry down the stretch. But just in, just in terms of this week one, I mean, there, there's some. that's the other thing is you can sort of launch your season. An NAU win or an Idaho win in that game gives them trajectory going forward. If UC Davis beats Weber State, now you got some momentum as you're coming to Montana State, so there's a lot of different factors here. Yeah, that's one of the huge reasons we've been circling that Idaho and Northern Arizona game since before the season, because I think we both thought that they would be in the same tier going into conference play, and that's what happened. I mean, Idaho played two Power 5 teams really close. I think the scorelines kind of flattered the Vandals in both of those games. They got a lot of turnovers. Uh, to stop some potential scoring drives that could have made the scores a lot worse. But they handled business against Drake. I think there's some excitement around that team. Northern Arizona got a great win against Sam Houston. I, I think that's been sort of overlooked. I think that's one of the best probably three wins by a Big Sky team in the non-conference because next year that's going to be an FBS win. Last year, Sam Houston was the defending national champions coming off of the spring season. So I think that's a good win. That's a huge game for those teams because... I think both of those teams are going to be playoff contenders. I also don't think either of those teams are quite at the top tier of the conference. And you've got to play three of the teams who I think in the conference are better than you. So you have to bank that win. Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Big Sky Breakdown, presented 
by Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate Blackfoot for all their business development help as well as just their uh, overall support of everything they we do. Uh, they have helped us implement a newsletter at Skyline Sports, which has been such a great resource for us. And uh, they are the proud sponsor, presenting sponsor, exclusive sponsor of the uh, Skyline Sports newsletter. So we really appreciate Blackfoot for all their uh, continued support. Okay, so we're going to take a, a full right turn here. We're going to play a little Big Sky Conference over under. This is going to come start with some uh, some Montana heavy angles here because those are the ones we'll be able to get wrapping on uh, quickest enough. But uh, we'll start with the reigning Big Sky Conference Defensive Player of the Week. That's Patrick O'Connell. He had two and a half sacks last week, uh, three forced fumbles or three uh, tackles for loss, excuse me, and a forced fumble, which Kale Edwards picked up and uh, took back for a touchdown. And uh, so the over-under for Pat O'Connell, right now he's got five sacks on the season. There were three games in. Over-under 15 sacks for Patrick O'Connell. He had 14 a year ago. That's what I would set it at. I think, man, I think over, because I'm not sure that the offensive lines are going to get all that much better. And I also, I also think, you know, you wouldn't think that the Grizz could dial it up anymore. But I think in conference play, they're going to, right? Like we've seen, this has been the story of the offense, the entire non-conference schedule, and that they'll put together a couple nice drives, uh, really innovative play calling, getting the ball in the playmaker's hands, whatever, and then they'll sort of shut it down because they don't need to in those games. The defense is running everything they've got. I mean, they're bringing pressure on every third down in the non-conference. They're playing, they look exactly like they will for the rest of the year. I just wonder if we have more wrinkles, if they start to play the matchups a little bit more when we get into conference games, if they start isolating Patrick O'Connell a little bit more and trying to get him those matchups against wherever they think that, that he has an advantage. So I think over, even though I guess they're... Man... They're a third of the way into the season? Yeah. yeah, 15. Yeah, over. Yeah, I mean, we're not counting playoffs. They might have three, four extra playoff games, and so he'll definitely – well, I shouldn't say definitely, but more opportunities to surpass that number. Um, yeah, I. Uh, they also haven't played – the teams that they've played so far, I guess Northwestern State threw the ball a bunch, but they still have to play several teams that are going to pass a lot as well, and that's, that's going to give – uh, elevated opportunity. I don't know. I'm saying even. I don't know if I could take the full over, but I want to say it's right there. The reason you would say under is just because you would think that like Marcus Wellnell ends up with 10 sacks and Braxton Hill ends up with eight sacks and Henry Noose ends up with six sacks and they lead the country in sacks, but all those guys are taking them away from Patrick O'Connell. Yeah, true. Uh, and you, you never know. I mean, when the word is out, you're isolated or somebody, you know, they, they're double teaming you, whatever it might be. Um, let me think of another one. Over or under a thousand rushing yards this year for Tommy Mallott? Again, over just because Isaiah Fonse is out and they're going to have to lean on him. And they've shown, again, they've shown that they'll do it in games that they need to win. And I'm thinking back to the South Dakota State semifinal when they just said, okay, Tommy. We're, we're running option keepers, technically. Yeah. You're going into the line every time, right? And it worked out for them. And I think that still is sort of their plan A when they get 
into those tough games. Now the wrinkle in this one is that they have Sean Chambers this year. Yeah, but they're still going to have to ride both those guys, especially with no running backs right now. So it's a serious issue there, but also they have a dude that can do it. I've heard from so many people all these different varying opinions about Tommy Malott, and some people think he should just move to a different position. But I don't. I think that he still has a tremendous upside as a quarterback. But also, if you're going to run a run-heavy offense, to have a guy who can run at his level is just an unbelievable weapon. I, I'm taking the over as well. If he if he stays healthy, I mean, he's gonna. They're going to run him 18 to 20 times per game, for better or worse. That's that's happening. Yeah, Tommy Malott. Where would you guess that he is? in yards per game in the conference, in rushing yards per game in the conference so far this season? Uh, towards the top, for sure. I mean, he rushed for 135 yards on Saturday against Oregon State. Yeah, sixth in yards per game. And I actually was going to bring this up earlier when we were talking about the running backs in the league. One of the things that I've noticed is that we're seeing a lot of quarterbacks up towards the top of the rushing charts. And it's not just that it's all the quarterbacks. It's all the quarterbacks for the good teams, right? Like Sac State, Montana, both have a quarterback in the top 10 in the league so far in rushing yards per game. Montana State has two. Yeah, interesting for sure. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth. Uh, Stay tuned for tomorrow, a new little addition to our Big Sky Breakdown. Nick Tabor's financial tip of the week should be fun. And he'll also give you a couple thoughts about the Grizz, too. I mean, he's a he's a season ticket holder, Missoula native. He's been to a ton of games, knows a bunch about football. I mean, hell, he's coaching nine-year-olds. He, he must be a, a football aficionado. But thanks to Tabes for his uh, continued support here uh, of us at, at Skyline Sports. Uh, Tommy Mullah had like 750 rushing yards last year, and he only started three and a half games. So, you know, they're, they're just going to put the ball in his head. He's a... For all of the criticisms of his quarterback, uh, uh, you know, his, his mid-range throwing accuracy or whatever, the Cats have had a bunch of great running quarterbacks. Go check out SkylineSportsMT.com. Read Tom Stuber's story all about <laughs> – it's not the run and gun. It's the run and run quarterback at Montana State. They've had a whole bunch of them in a row. And, and Daenerys McGee was a run and gun quarterback. But you know, Chris Murray – and Dakota Prukop was too. But Chris Murray and Troy Anderson and, and Tommy Lott, to this point at least – uh, just run, run, run. But it, it's such a, a huge weapon in uh, in college football. Okay, what's another good uh, over-under here uh, for us? Um, over-under 14 points per game allowed by the Grizz this year. Can they continue this pace? Right now they're giving up seven. I think they're under, and I think the interesting question is whether Weber State's going to be too. Right. Uh, those are two teams that have been just lights out so far this year, like several standard deviations ahead of the rest of the conference in terms of their defense. Montana hasn't played anybody all that good, but they've given up. I mean, the defense has given up 14 points total in the two games. It's not even a touchdown a game. It's under that because Indiana State had the fumble recovery for a touchdown against Chris Brown. Weaver State's got the same. The only uh, Utah State, I think, scored against them only on a kickoff return. The most ridiculous stat of the Grizz season so far is this. The Grizz have given up 21 points. Seven of them were a defensive touchdown by Indiana State, as you mentioned. One of them was a 54-yard touchdown run by Justin Dinka of Indiana State. And one of them was a 35-yard touchdown run by Travis Tice, a 25-yard touchdown run by Travis Tice of South Dakota. 
In other words, an opponent has not been in the red zone against the Grizz yet this year. Pretty easy to lead the, the country in red zone defense when it's zeros because no one's even been there. That, that's an unbelievable stat. That is a stat that's unsustainable. But d- even to get a three-game span, it helps your, uh, your statistical projections quite a bit. Yeah, and I don't see a lot of teams who are well-equipped to challenge them. I mean, to, to match up well against them. We talked a lot about, you know, what can hurt this Grizz defense. It's a big topic of discussion for us because it's such an interesting topic because you got to think about scheme. you got to think about personnel. We saw Eastern Washington do it last year a couple times. I mean, they did it in the playoff game too, even though they lost. That's really the sort of scheme and personnel that it takes where you can hit that seam route. You've got a quarterback who can get out at least of the first wave of pressure and maybe buy himself another second or two to find somebody downfield. But I mean, their next, man, three games, Portland State, Idaho State, Idaho, I don't see any of those teams really threatening the Montana defense now. The Sacramento State game coming up after that is going to be, I think, the first real big question of the season for them. All right, what's another good over-under? Over-under six wins for Portland State this season. I'll let you look up their schedule uh, while we look at this. If I recall, after this conference opener against Montana – they have an opportunity to kind of get going. I, I remember when I was putting pencil to paper and scoring it out, I thought maybe Portland State had an opportunity to get a couple couple wins in the next little while. What's their schedule look like after Montana? Okay, I pulled it up. I had the tab almost already open because I've got a tab on Anthony Adams, their great cornerback, up on my computer. After the Montana game, I think, comes one of the biggest games of their season. They've got Northern Arizona at home. Yeah. Then Lincoln – from California. I got to tell the story real quick. It's supposed to be Southern Utah. They didn't have an AD. The contract didn't get signed. The fact that that kind of stuff happens in division one athletics is like, man, we got to have a higher level of competency. And I, this has nothing to do with Portland state athletics. It was because of a, a, a transition that was sort of outside their hands and uh, just unbelievable. That's how Lincoln, California lands on your schedule. There you go. That's not the game that you want to be playing in your fifth game of the season. No. Uh, after that, versus Weber State at Idaho at Eastern Washington. Oh, okay, no. I, yeah, they're under, right? Yeah. They're they're zero two right now. They're going to get one against Lincoln, and they've got Northern Colorado and Cal Poly on the schedule. So that probably gets you to three. To get to six, they'd have to beat. Idaho, Eastern Washington, and Northern Arizona, aside from pulling a crazy upset? Right. And what if they just beat Montana? Or what if they just beat any even? I mean, that's the thing, is there's a world in which they could. I mean, they have really good players, and they have a veteran team. I don't think they have the quarterback to do it, though, is the issue. They, they're really good in the secondary, though. I mean, they can, they can man you up. Uh, that's what they're trying to do. I'm still I'm with you though. I mean, I, I I guess I had misremembered. I must be associating their schedule with somebody else because that's not an easy schedule. They in fact play all the good teams besides the California teams, right? They play Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington, and Weber State, and then Idaho. I mean, that's and Northern Arizona. I mean, you're, you're that's a pretty tough schedule. Not a lot of Idaho states and Cal Poly's on there. 
Yeah, they don't get the Cats this year, but they do have Sac State among the California teams. But that's the thing. If you're a middle-tier team in the big sky, you're all of them have a hard schedule, right? Right. Because you're going to end up playing right. two or three of the real contenders. Right, right, right. And you're only going to play... I mean, there are only three teams that I think are not on the level of the rest of the conference. So even if you get all three of those teams and maybe, you know, another team from that middle tier falls into that last tier, you've only got three or four really easy conference wins. If you're say the sixth place team in the big sky, everybody else is either going to be on your level or a tier above you. And it's funny cause I was going to do a whole bunch of over under win totals, but then I just realized that, like Portland State's one of the only real applicable ones you can do it for right now, even though we've only seen two games and we haven't seen them win a game. But, you know, we won't know about Montana State till this weekend. We won't know about Eastern Washington until this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I think we're going to learn a lot about UC Davis this weekend. Although I, I actually, I watched, I haven't even told you this. I watched UC Davis uh, against South Dakota State because I'm a junkie. That's what I did when I got home from the Oregon State game because I was like, man, I just watched t- – I mean, you know, you've been at games like that. When they're up 40, you start writing the gamer, so you can go home. So I was watching the South Dakota State-UC uh, Davis game. Davis is good. They fly on defense. They have really good speed, and they and they can hit too. I was very impressed with how physical they were. They, you don't have that sort of brand with, with Dan Hawkins. He's not branded like that, a physical coach, but they play physical football. So that'd be interesting. But I, okay, so do you have any over-unders for me? Do you have any, uh, is there any other win totals that are uh, you can actually project? I haven't looked at the schedules enough to give win totals other than I think probably for Montana and Montana State. But would you say over or under 36 total touchdowns for Lucas Johnson this year? Total touchdowns. Um, I'm, I'm saying over by, yeah, I, th- I think over for sure. 40? I, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that, well, I, uh, I'm actually doing the math now. I, I think he'll throw between 25 and 30 touchdowns. And I think he'll rush for between eight and 10 touchdowns. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I put it at 35. I, 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 I take the, over, I take that over slightly on 36. Yeah. Yeah, 36. Yeah, he's got eight passing, three running through three games. So 11 through three games. I think it, it comes down to whether he keeps up, you know, running for a touchdown a game, right? Well, they'll also, like, have calls for him to keep on the zone read against Northwestern State. You don't really want to do that on the goal line against Weber. <laughs> you know, like, there's certain teams in this league where, where – like they're trying to knock your quarterback out of the game. Like, I mean, I don't think you would really want to run like, unless it's you know on the perimeter. I don't think you want to run Lucas Johnson between the tackles and the goal line against Portland State. I, they'll they'll hit you for sure. They'll try to knock you out for sure. So I, I don't, that part might. I guess that what I'm saying is that pace might slow a little bit. I think it will. I think that's one of the biggest storylines for Montana's season so far. I mean, Lucas Johnson. 25 rushing attempts in three games, which isn't a crazy pace, and he hasn't taken any big hits because probably about a third of those have ended up out of bounds, and as we mentioned, another three of those have ended up in the end zone. So he's not really in position to take any big hits, 
But on the other hand, all it takes is one big hit to really change Montana's season if they're going to be adamant about continuing to run Lucas Johnson, which I think is like one of the things that really unlocks the best form of their offense. He's also just like so smart when he's running in the open field. And he's just, he's one of those, he strides and glides. And so he doesn't look like he's going that fast, but he's really fast. I mean, he's incredibly fast for this level. So uh, it's hard to catch him. Uh, good addition for the Grizz. Uh, Andrew Houghton here, Skyline Sports, uh, MT.com on the Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Um, okay, give me one more. Give me one more uh, over under. Uh, do, do we have any ones from from outside uh, of the Montana schools? I, I got one for you. Over under double-digit 10 touchdowns for Pierre Williams, who I think is somehow one of the most underrated players in the league. He, he's I don't know why he's not on the tip of everybody's tongue as as I guess I don't get why with with a lot of the guys that were and weren't nominated and what the injury history was for some of the best running backs in the league. I couldn't understand why Pierre Williams wasn't a, a more uh, vouched for candidate for preseason offensive player of the year. I mean, he's been a starter since he's a freshman at Sac State and he's bought I mean, he's been first team all league, I think at, at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, he's a great player. The issue with that Sac State offense is it's the Patrick O'Connell problem, right? They've got so many touches to go around, right? They've got the most efficient running back in the league in Cameron Scadaboo. Asher O'Hara needs his touches running. He's fourth in the league in yards per game rushing as sort of the, the change of pace quarterback. I would take the under on Pierre Williams for 10 touchdowns, but I was looking up Sac State's schedule as we were going and I think I would say, so they're they're 2-0. They beat Utah Tech. They beat UNI. I think they've got some questions on their defense. They also have one of the easiest conference schedules out of any of the teams. I think I would set the over-under at 9.5 for Sac State. Wow, because they got Montana coming there. Uh, they, they don't play the Cats. Do they play Eastern? When do they play Eastern? October 15th at Eastern. So it's at Colorado State this week. And I think if you take over there, you think they probably pull the upset in Fort Collins. But it's at Cal Poly versus Northern Colorado. Then they're going to Cheney. Then they're coming to – then they're hosting Montana, hosting Idaho at Weber State, at Portland State, and then the Causeway Classic. Wow. Okay. Damn, they did get a little bit of an easier schedule again. Nine and a half, nine and a half is a lot. I agree. Uh, I agree. Because they haven't won 10 games either in the last two years, right? Because they haven't won the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under too, but I, th- I think it's close, and I think that's almost where you have to set the line to get people debating on it. But And... and I think there are real questions on their defense. Their secondary has given up, you know, Utah Tech threw for 300-some yards on them. I think the offense is so good it might not matter, and I think Troy Taylor and that staff have sort of proved in their two years in the Big Sky Conference that you want to bet on them in close games. More of this 
to come. Uh, but that was fun. Uh, thanks to Andrew Houghton. And uh, thanks to all you for listening. 90 minutes of uh, feverish analysis here at the Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks to Brooks Nuanas, Ty Gregorak. Stay tuned uh, tomorrow. Big Sky Breakdown uh, Part 2. A lot of interviews, but also some more analysis as well. Voice of the Grizz, Riley Corcoran will join us. Uh, Ian Laird, who's the play-by-play guy for Bozeman High School and Bozeman Gallatin High School. And uh, also one of our sponsors who has a, a slight role in contributing. Uh, we're also going to hear from Gunnar Talkington, Eastern Washington quarterback. Tyson Pulling, a Portland State offensive lineman. Efton Chisholm III, a Eastern Washington wide receiver. And uh, we'll have our latest financial tip from Nick Tabor at Westback Wells. So thanks so much for tuning in, listening along. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC.